In May 1924, two cultures murdered a 14-year-old boy in Chicago, Illinois. And it's one of the crimes that people should be aware of protecting their children at all costs. It was the crime of the century. Today, I discuss the killer duo, Leopold Loeb. This is Cases of the Crimes. All right, hi guys. Welcome to the one and all with another episode coming to you straight live from me recording the phone. Someone's gonna be open up beside us, someone's calling. People think it's in car right now, but it's pretty much nine to this. So I will be loving to discuss about these two into more things about who they are. Leopold and Loeb. That's two people now. I've done I've done a lot of uh crimes before, I've done a lot of cases. Cause we've seen Bonnie and Clyde, but we never heard of Leopold and Loeb. This one catches my attention about this one. And it's in the twenties, you know. They're not robbing the banks like Bonnie and Cl- unlike Bonnie and Clyde. But they just killed one person, I think. Yeah. They only killed just a 14-year-old boy. I wonder why. That's why we're going to get to those stuff. Okay? So, we're going to talk about their early lives for both of them. And then, during their adolescence, and then we're into the murder of this 14-year-old boy named Bobby Franks. Okay? And then we're going to trial, going to prison, and then the post-prison years for a little pole. Isn't and then wondering what happens next for the both of them and such. Oh, I kind of spoiled that one out, but okay. Anyways, let's get started with this case. All right, all right, here we go. All right. We have two names for Leopold and Loeb. So we have Nathan Fredjoenfall Leopold Jr. Okay. And Richard Albert Loeb. So those are the two. So let's start off with Nathan Leopold. Okay. Nathan Leopold was born on November 19th, 1904. He was born in Chicago, Illinois. So in Chicago... Is the son of Florence Nee Foreman and Nathan Leopold, which is a wealthy Jew- German Jewish immigrant family. Uh, German Jewish. So, a child prodigy, okay, for some of this prodigy, he claims to have spoken his first words at age four. And then by the time of the murder, he had completed an undergraduate degree. At the University with Phi Beta Kappa honors, and plans to begin some studies at Harvard Law School after a trip to Europe. And he studied the 15 languages and but claimed to speak five of them. And he achieved a measure of recognition as ornithologist. 
Our just is like a zoo, like a study of like zoology or, or something like that. The study of birds. Okay, study of birds. That's what ornithology is about. Okay, so Lopal and other ornithologists identified Kirtland's wobbler and made some observations with some nesting behavior of the brown-headed cowbirds. Oh, that's study about birds, which is written to the warblers. Ah, that's a really good fact about that one. This is not about him. This is all about all the facts they have done. So he evidently maintained his interest in birds after the crime. Or in the field to sell and joy So yeah, he had just graduated. He was born over there with a Jew- German Jewish immigrant. So they had moved to the United States, I don't know, somewhat here. And he had just graduated from University of Chicago with Phi Beta Kappa. And studied Harvard Law School, but he also speak a lot of languages and studying birds. Interesting, interesting of him studying that one particularly. That's very interesting take for him. All right, let's go to Richard Loeb. Okay, Richard Loeb, born on nine, born June 11, nineteen five, in Chicago, to family of Anna Henrietta Nibon and. Albert Henry Loeb. You probably know him as a lawyer and retired vice president of Sears, Roebuck and Company. Sears, Roebuck and Company. You haven't recognized this one. If you definitely known this one, <laughs> Henry Albert Henry is the vice president. He was the retired vice president of Sears, Roebuck and Company. You now known that one as Sears. But Sears does not exist anymore. It closed down. So, I mean, Sears was definitely a good department store, but it, it was fun while it lasts, and it just ended up cut short. Bankruptcy and all. That's very sad. Anyways, so his father was Jewish, and his mother was Catholic. So we have Jewish Catholic on here. So similar to Little Pope, very such an intelligent and an encouragement of his governess, he skipped some of the grades and became the university of the youngest graduate at 17. He was very intelligent and was so smart that he literally skipped all the grades and now become a youngest since a graduate at 17. At 17? Oh, wow, you know a lot, you know a lot of smarts of it. So, he was a student at the University of Chicago Law School and was interested in doing a graduate work at the time of the murder. So, he had graduated now he wants to go to a graduate school. No, just continue some of the graduate works. So, similar, so if we compare it to Lil Paul, he was not overly interested in some, some pursuits. His preference, like the socialize, you know, play tennis and... Read novels, just no, just hobby stuff. His hobby. Okay, so now both of those two were the cautioned. So Paul was certainly interested in going to Harvard Law School and interesting with things, thing with birds on the other side. That's his hobby. Love is very similar. He just went to college, graduated seventeen. He went to just 
law school. But he's not interested in some academic stuff. I mean, he doesn't mind, but he doesn't want to. But he prefers to go out and hobby or something. That's where they're going up for. Alright, now let's move on to the adolescents. When they're now becoming an adult and there's some early crimes that they have committed just a little before we get to Bob Franks. Okay, so. So both of them grew up in their respective families in Canwood. Kenwood neighborhood in Chicago's south side. So the Loebs own the summer estate now it's Cass Farms in Chalvois, Michigan, as well as the mansion in Kenwood, so two blocks from his home. So they could just literally walk into their homes, you know. Though both of them knew each other casually while they were gonna they began seeing more of them in the twenties. In the mid twenties, now they finally realized that, huh? Both two people they find recognizing. And their relationship in the University of Chicago, okay, had they discovered this mutual interest in crime that they are looking at. So Lopo was fascinated by Frederick Nietzsche's concept of the Superman. Uh, I cannot even pronounce what that is. Overmention I can't I can't pronounce it, but I'll let them AI do this thing. Übermenschen. Interpreting them as becoming trendless individuals possessing extraordinary and unusual capabilities, whose superior intellects allow them to rise above the laws and rules that bound the unimportant average populace. I mean, this is a very good little talk. They call it Superman because they have everything they want to be capable of. You no. Know? And forget all the laws, forget everything. I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever I can to just save them. Like, laws and rules, huh, not important. We have something that we need, you know? That's really good stuff. So, Lopo believed that both of them were individuals, and with the interpretation of Nietzsche's doctrines, both of them were not bound any of this those normals, ethics, or rules. They don't do any of this. So in the letter to Loeb, right? So you leave a to Loeb, and he says this. Quote, a superman is, on account of certain superior qualities inherent in him, exempted from the ordinary laws which govern men. He is not liable for anything he may do. Again, this is no Superman, Superman, this is not like a definitely hero thing. And we're not talking about the actual Superman that we know and love, but what they have refined the terms of, and this term of Superman. When it comes to being a Superman, you have all the capabilities and you don't need like a law or a Something you don't you don't need to have like normal ethics and rules like everybody society can do. We don't need them. We'll have our very own way. And the pair began asserting this specific immunity for restrictions 
with acts of some death and vandalism. So they're going to start doing those. They broke into the fraternity house in Michigan and they stole pen knives, camera, typewriter, and they used to type some of the ransom note. The typewriter will be taken into some ransom note. In Bowman, they progressed to more of like serious crimes, like arson. No one knows about that, that they did this, did an arson. And disappointed with the absence of mere coverage because no one ever covers this because they got away with it, you know. Okay, so they decided to plan and execute a perfect crime. Perfect crime, as in quotes. So what will be their perfect crime that they would like to commit? That would definitely garner the public attention and confirm their status as the Superman. So... They're going to come up with the plan of, hmm, what would be the perfect crime that we'll have to commit so that the people in public will notice about it. And then that would definitely claim us as a Superman. Good idea. And both of them have started to put this no plan that can definitely lead to this murder of this 14-year-old boy, Bobby Franks. Oh, yeah, this is going to be amazing. They have done it. They have the plan because the word Superman always keep their keep themselves in their heads. You know, that one particular term. But because they've been well, smart too much. They've been in college, you know. And this particular word believes in the words of Frederick Nietzsche. He, and I don't know what he has something to do with the word Superman on it. Ah. Who knows about it. Alright. Here it goes. Nothing. Because this is going to be a very, very big one. Welcome to the murder of Bobby Franks. Oh, this is going to be so exciting. Alright, you know what? Let's move on to Bobby Franks so that we can get in the way. Okay. So, they... So Leopold Loeb, 1918, set out on some kidnapping, murdering a younger adolescent. That's their perfect crime. That will be the plan. Seven months they are spending this one. Everything from the abduction, dispose of the body, they know where they want to go. And then to obfuscate the actual nature of the crime and the motive, decided to make some ransom demand and devise this intricate and for collecting it involved a long series of complex instructions to be communicated once at a time by phone. So they're going to have to practice communicating each other to see how this plan is going to work. Because this will be the perfect crime they wanted to do. And this would be it. Type when the final set of instructions with actual money drop in form of the note. Using the typewriter, okay. And it chisel was selected as the murder weapon in its purchase. Huh, a chisel. They wanted to use the chisel as, you know, carving the sculpture there, but they're now using that as a weapon. Oh, chisel. One of the many creations to create that one as a statue, right? Chisel. It's part of, like, creating a statue and it's not painted. Okay, so, 
after with some search of who beat the slow victim is mostly on the grounds of Harvard School for Boys in the Kenwood area so this is where they're finding the snow so little have an educator and decide upon ah Robert Bobby Franks 40 year old son of well the Chicago watch manufacturer Jacob Franks okay it's the watch manufacturer so Bobby Franks was his second cousin they loved second cousin and a cross street neighbor had played tennis at the Love residence several times so been at Love's house you know playing tennis for a lot of times now they put their plan in motion in the afternoon May 21st that's when so they used an automobile that noble rent in her name Morton D. Bollard that's and they offered Franks a ride and a walk home from school. So yeah, they offered Frank a ride as he walked home from school. Okay, this is one of the biggest thing to kids. If you offered a stranger, if a stranger offers you a ride, don't do it or just run, run, run away from them and go back home. Okay. So the boy refused because his destination is less than two blocks, so it doesn't to get them. But he persuaded to enter the car to discuss you know, a tennis racket that they've been using. They're probably going to have another racket. This is what they persuaded. And the precise sequence of the follow remains in dispute. But the preordinance of the opinion placed behind the wheel of the car where he sat in the backseat with the chisel. Remember, that's the chisel, and that was the little weapon. So, yeah, he got persuaded by him to enter the car with the no tennis racket. Even if it's just you no know, offering a ride, said no. And even if someone offers you that he has the no tennis racket or say this, like, can he in the video? Don't. Never say no to all of strange or what everything what stranger said that's all no never do that okay never so yeah but Frank ended up in no in this automobile and love struck Franks was in front of him passenger seat several times with the chisel and then the dragon to seat and gag him where died holy wow oh my god Yep, just like that. Once entering the back, boom, you die. Okay, so with the body in the floorboard under view, they drove into this predetermined dump spot near Wolf Lake in Hammond, Indiana. That's 25 miles south of Chicago. And after the nightfall, they removed and discarded Frank's clothes and they concealed the body in a culvert. Along with the Pennsylvania Railroad tracks that's north of the lake. And to obscure the identity, they poured hydrochloric acid, oh gosh, on his face and his genitals to disguise the fact that he has been circumcised. Oh my god, this is. No, this is nuts. And I'm not. I don't mean that in a. No, I don't mean that one in a final way, but. Oh. So, by the time two men returned to Chicago, right? 
word had already spread that Frank was missing, and then Will called his mother, identified as George Johnson, so he, and told that the Franks had been kidnapped, and the instructions delivering the ransom would follow, and that's what they would follow. And after mailing the type ransom note and burning the blood stain coating, and then cleaning the blood stains from the vehicle, they spent the remainder of the evening playing cards. Yeah, so they done the murder. So guess what? We're done. We're just playing cards. Okay, let's read what the word said. Let's see what the letter that's sent to no smarter responder. Okay, it says, "Dear sir, please uh, proceed immediately to the back platform of the train. Watch the east side of the track. Have your package ready. Look for the first large red brick factory sit." Situated immediately adjoining the tracks on the east. On top of this factory is a large black water tower with the word champion written on it. Wait until you have completely passed the south end of the factory. Count five very rapidly and then immediately throw the package as far east as you can. Remember that this is your only chance to recover your son. I don't think... I don't think this is going to recover your son because... He's not going to. He is not going to. No. He's not going to. And then one of the friends received that note on the following morning. And then. Leopold called a second time and dictated the first set of instructions for the ransom payment. Because they want money, right? Yeah. So the end plan stalled almost immediately when some nervous family forgot the address of the store. We're supposed to receive the next set of directions. Uh-oh. And it was abandoned entirely. When the word came that Frank's body had been found. Ooh. So Lopolo destroyed that typewriter and burned that car rope. That's the lamp blanket. They destroyed. They just destroyed those. They had used to move the body somewhere. Yep, they're done. And then, then went about their lives as usual. to just forget about it. I was like, uh-oh, the body's been found. It's Graham. Get rid of everything. Get rid of all the evidence. And then pretend this is like a normal day for us. Yeah. So. Chicago police launched a intended investigation. Words were offered for some of the information they had. So while Loa went about this dinner too quietly... They both spoke freely to the police officers and reporters, offering some theories to anyone who could listen there. And he even told this one detective, quote, If I were to murder anybody, it would be just a cocky little son of a bitch as Bobby Franks. Why would he do that? Oh my goodness, why would he do that? For some sort, like, why? Why? So the police found a pair of glasses near the lobe of the body. There's some more common in prescription in the frame, because that's what they say. They were fitted in issue hinge purchased by the only three customers in Chicago. One of them was Lopold. Yeah. And then when they questioned, he offered the possibility that his glasses might have dropped out the pocket during a bird watching trip the previous weekend, which is oh, interesting in birds. Kinda little gets back to this. And now, two of the men were summoned for form questioning on May 29th. 
Yep. And it asserted that on the night of the murder, which is the murder there, they picked up two women in Chicago using Bill's car and then dropped them off sometime near a golf course without learning their last names. They just know their first names, but they don't know their last names and such. And now the alibis, one of the alibis, is supposed as a fabrication when Lippo's chauffeur told the police that he was repairing Lippo's car while the man claimed to be using that car. Of all some sort. You know. They just now find this little piece of the puzzle and see if they got caught. And then the chauffeur's wife confirmed the car was parked in Lippo's garage in the night of the murder. So they found it. And the destroyed typewriter was recovered on June 7th. So, yeah. Had the car. They talked about the car now. They had the glasses. is also a big away. It's a giveaway. The typewriter is also a giveaway. And the chauffeurs. You know, whoever's driving the car. So, yeah. That kind of gets a big example for that. Those are the items. They have as evidence. Hmm. Alright. So Lola confessed the first. And asserted that Lola Paul had planned everything. And killed Franks in the backseat of the car. While he drove. And then Lola Paul's confession. Swiftly after. But he insisted that he was the driver. And Lola was the murderer. And the confessions otherwise. Cor- corroborated with most of the evidence they had so Love started to confess and then Lil Paul started to confess. A big confession was announced by the attorney on May 31st. So later proclaimed that the book his book well after Love's death that he pleaded in vain with Love to admit killing Franks and then he said this in quote Mopsy feels less terrible than she might thinking he did it. And in quotes is love saying, and I'm not going to take that shred of comfort away from her. I mean, why? I wonder why the Sue would definitely have something else to say when they kill a 14 year old boy or something. That puts them a lot of pressure for that. Okay, while the most observers believe that love did strike the fatal blows and somehow come circumstantial. Including some testimonies from eyewitnesses Carl Uvely, who said he saw Love driving and Lil in the back seat minutes before Lil kidnapping. That Lil could have been a killer. So that's Carl said that Lil is the killer here. But both of them admitted they were driven by this thrill seeking Superman delusions and their. Especially to commit a perfect crime. So they told everything about what their perfect crime is. They didn't have a look forward you know, to the killing. But Lilba admitted interest in learning what it would feel like to be a murderer. And they did. He was disappointed to note, to note that he felt the same as ever. Yeah, now you know what it feels like to become a murderer, right? Now you know what it felt like. Now, being a murderer is something that I wanted to do because that's what it feels like. That's what you feel like. You know that? That's how, you know, what that was supposed to be, what 
feel like for you? What felt like about this? No, being a murderer, killing the fourteen-year-old boy, and such. Now you know how it is, and now everyone's got their attention. Everyone knows what your perfect crime is. They got you. All right, we're getting into the trial. So, all right, so the trial of Lapone Loeb at Chicago's Cook County Court um, became a media spectacle. And third of their thought and second vicinity. They were the trial of the century. They call this one, this is the trial of the century. So Love's family hired a criminal defense attorney, Clarence Darrow, without well, saw the picture, to lead no the defense team. And it's rumored that he paid one million dollars for the services and it, but he was actually paid seventy thousand dollars. Boo. That's not good. So that's equivalent to like 1.1 million dollars for that. Yeah, that's awful. So there took the case because he was a staunch opponent of the snow capital punishment and such. It was generally assumed that the men's defense would be based on the plea not guilty with the Sandy. So it included that a jury trial would end in conviction and the death penalty. That really sucks, right? Thus, he elected to enter a plea of guilty. The convinced known the judge, John R. Calvary, to impose the sentences of life imprisonment. That's what he's going to do. So, so the trial, okay, ran for 32 days. That's almost over a month. We have a state attorney, Robert E. Crow, presented 100 witnesses. Talking some of the details of the crime, and the defense presented some secular testimony, established some mitigating circumstances, including child neglect, in form absent parenting, and in this case, the false case, sexual abuse by governess. I don't know that would mean here. So there are called some expert witnesses over some big catalog of the abnormalities between Lopo and Loeb. So. They just look over and so what is under my eyes. And the one witnesses testified the dysfunctional induction glands. And that's the delusions led to this crime. No. Induction glands is are there, there are different kinds of the veteran glands. One and two or somewhere part in the brain. One in the lungs. Somewhere in the chest. Somewhere in the kidneys. And if you're a guy, then you have an ovaries. And then eight, you have a testes. Oh gosh, testicle. Oh my god. Do I have to say that in anatomy? I mean, what is this? Is it anatomy class or something? Goodness. Alright. Anyways, um. We're getting down to their speech. This is one of the speech they had to say something. So, there's a, using a 12 hour long master plea. At the conclusion of the hearing has been called it the survivor violence speech decree. And in principal arguments, there were methods and punishments for the justice and were humane. In the youth elementary of the accused. And here's when this in quote, this is going to be the longest quote. They ever seen in your life, but hey. 
Alright, this is gonna be a long one. <clears throat> this terrible crime was inherent in his organism, and it came from some ancestor. Is any blame attached because somebody took Nessie's philosophy seriously and fashioned his life upon it? It is hardly fair to hang a 19-year-old boy for the philosophy that was taught him in the university. We read of killing 100,000 men in a day. That's during World War One. We read about it and we rejoiced in it. If it was the other fellows who were killed, we were fed on flesh and drank blood, even down to the prowling babe. I need not tell you how many upright, honorable young boys have come into this court charged with murder. Some saved and some sent to their death. Boys who fought in this war and learned to place a cheap value on human life. You know it and I know it. These boys were brought up in it. It will take 50 years to wipe it out of the human heart, if ever. I know this, that after the Civil War in 1865, crimes of this sort increased marvelously. No one needs to tell me that crime has no cause. It has a definite a cause as any other disease. And I know that out of the hatred and bitterness of the Civil War, crime increased as America had never seen before. I know that Europe is going through the same experience today. I know it has followed every war. And I know it has influenced these boys so that life was not the same as it would have been if the world had not made red with blood. Your Honor knows that in this very court, crimes of violence have increased growing out of the war. Not necessarily by those who fought but by those that learned that blood was cheap and human life was cheap. And if the state could take it lightly, why not the boys? Has the court any right to consider anything but these two boys? The state says that your honor has a right to consider the welfare of the community as you have. If the welfare of the community would be benefited by taking these lives well and good, I think it would work evil that no one could measure. Has your honor a right to consider the families of these defendants? I have been sorry, and I am sorry for the bereavement of Mr. and Mrs. Franks, for those broken ties that cannot be healed. All I can hope and wish is that some good may come from it all. But as compared with the families of Leopold and Loeb, the Franks are to be envied, and everyone knows it. Here's Leopold's father, and this boy was the pride of his life. He watched him and he cared for him. He worked for him. The boy was brilliant and accomplished. He educated him and he thought that fame and position awaited him as it should have waited. It is a hard thing for a father to see his life's hopes crumble to, into dust. And Loeb's the same. He are the faithful uncle and brother who have watched here day by day. While Dick's father and his mother are too ill to stand this terrific strain and shall be waiting for a message which means more to them than it can mean to you or me. Shall these be taken into account in this general bereavement? This easy thing and the popular thing to do is to hang my clients. I know it. Men and women who do not think will applaud. The cruel and thoughtless will prove. It will be easy today, but in Chicago... And reaching out over the length and breadth of the land, more and more fathers and mothers, the humane, the kind, and the hopeful, who are gaining an understanding and asking questions not only about these poor boys, but about their own. These will join in no acclaim at the death of my clients. 
These would ask that the shedding of blood be stopped and that the normal feelings of men resume their sway. Your honor stands between the past and the future. You may hang these boys. You may hang them by the neck until they are dead. But in doing it, you will turn your face toward the past. In doing it, you are making it harder for every other boy who, in ignorance and darkness, must grope his way through the mazes which only childhood knows. In doing it, you will make it harder for unborn children. You may save them and make it easier for every child that sometime may stand where these boys stand. You will make it easier for every human being with an aspiration and a vision and a hope and a fate. I am pleading for the future. I am pleading for a time when hatred and cruelty will not control the hearts of men. When we can learn by reason and judgment and understanding and faith that all life is worth saving and that mercy is the highest attribute of man. Oh, wow. That took a big thing. This speech is... Wow. I want to take this little big plea for him about this number. This is where humane and the immaturity of what the people who have been accused between Loeb and Lo Paul. I mean, that takes a, a lot out of us. I know, right? <laughs> I know. So, the judge was persuaded, but explained his ruined decision was based primarily on the president and the accused. And on September 10th, 1924, he sentenced both of them to life imprisonment for the murder and 99 years for kidnapping. And a little over a month later, after that, known the trial, Lost Father died of a heart failure. Oh gosh, that kind of sad down to both of them. So, they were initially held at Joliet Prison, that were their kid parts as much as possible. And to manage to maintain this little friendship. So Lopal was transferred to State Bill Penitentiary in 1901. And Lopal was later transferred there. That's great. So once they reunited, two expanded the prison school system. And adding a high school and junior college curriculum. Yeah, so they expanded no, this little school system for the one of them. However, something stops for Loeb. So... In January 28, 1936, Love was attacked by fellow inmate James Day with a razor in a shower room, and he died soon after in a prison hospital. Shoot. So they claimed that Love assaulted him, but he was unharmed while he seen more than 50 wounds, including some defensive wounds in his arms and hands. His throat had been slashed from behind, and some of the news accounts that Love had proposition day, and authorities perhaps embarrassed by this no, same-sex behavior in a prison. Rather, the day was defending himself. He was supposed he was defending himself, but he did not mean to kill Loel. Oh, drat! So the sexual motive for killing was suggested. There could be, and some of the resources they. Said for Ed Lahi begin the story with the lead, like Richard Lord, despite his erudition, they ended his sentence with a proposition, proposition. No evidence has been found that this letter was ever published. An actual copy, 
So there's no evidence has been found. An actual cup that on that date that reads otherwise, they might be looking into that. And then February 19, 1936, there's a column printed. The Syracuse Journal, Mark Hellinger, wrote, I must tell you of a line that came to me from an unknown correspondent in Chicago. This anonymous contributor said he had absolute lowdown on the recent slain of Dick Loeb, since the Loeb made a slight mistake in grammar. He ended the sentence in a proposition. So this was a proposition today, because I think the Loeb had done a lot. He was attacking today, but Dave was defending himself. Hmm. And some of the other newspapers at the time that with the praise day he was tried and acquitted of his murder. Okay. And there's no evidence, there's no evidence that Loeb was a sexual predator one person. But they was caught and at least once of the sexual act in the fell inmate. So I think he had sex with another fellow inmate. In some of his autobiography, like plus 99 years, is one of the books he read. Lobo ridiculed Day's claim that Lobo had attempted to sexually assault him. So, started doing that. And it was echoed by a prison's Catholic chaplain. Said it was more like the day attacked Loeb and after Loeb rebuffed his advances. No, he started to know perhaps the day, you know, just get a little loving dubbies or something. But this was none of that. And just straight up kill him with the razor. Straight up razor, I tell you. Oh, sharp that is. It's ridiculous. Okay, so let's see what Leopold's living in the prison life. Okay, so he continued his work after his death. And despite some of the suffering, Russian became a model prisoner and made many significant contributions, including some of the conditions at the state, though. Including recognizing the prison library, revamping the school system, teaching students, and volunteer work in the prison hospital. So he's done a lot of things now. So in 1944, Silbo volunteered for a stable printer malaria study. He was inoculated with the malaria pathogens and subjected several experimental malaria treatments. He'd done those. And he wrote that all his good work in prison after his release and was an effort to compensate for them for the crime. For that. So he was released somewhere in the 50s. And in the early 50s, May 11th, one of the classmates at uh, University of Chicago requested that his cooperation in writing all based on the Frank's murder. Did no writing this little novel based on the murder. So he responded he did not wish that story told in a fictionalized form. But but he offered Levin a contribute the memoir, which was no progress. And he was not happy with the suggestion and went ahead with the book by himself, alone, despite you know, some objections that he had done for a little And so he wrote the novel called Compulsion, was 56. So Levin portrayed Leopold under you know, the name Judge Steiner as a brilliant but deeply disturbed teenager, but psychologically driven to kill because of his troubled childhood and obsession with Loeb.
that's kind of gets in that story. So, when he read that book compulsion, it said that, yeah, that made me physically sick. And then, well, more than once, I had to lay the book down, wait for the nausea to subside. I felt as I suppose a man would feel if he were exposed stark naked under a strong spotlight before a large audience. When you read that particular book, and that portrays about the character, that portrays about you, but puts it into the fictional form. It's like, ugh, ugh, that, I'm gonna throw up. This definitely feel like what the story is look like. The compulsion. That's one of the is that he definitely throw himself up because of that particular time of that murder. I was like, oh no, I don't want to know about that. I don't really want to know about this. Okay, so he wrote now his autobiography. Life plus 99 years was published in 58 as part of his campaign to win the old parole. And sometime beginning the count with the aftermath of the crime, he engendered some criticism of his deliberate refusal. That's what's called. To recount his childhood and describe any details of the murder that kind of gets him. He also was accused of writing the book solely as a means of rehabilitating his public image. By ignoring the dark side of the past and forget all of that. So I wrote in this autobiography tells him that them so that as to rehab. So I'm trying to clean, wipe everything off whatever this public image. Forget everything about this his dark side of the past. Forget all of that. Pretend that doesn't happen again. So he was out of the prison. He was definitely out of where he is. Now, I kind of wondering what Lil Paul's doing right now. Life at the prison. So yeah, after 33 years of some unsuccessful petitions, he was now paroled in March 1958. So the service commission, okay, accepted as a medical technician at the hospital in Puerto Rico. That's where he's going to land. Then he expressed suspicions in the article, quote, To me, the Brethren Service Commission offer our job, the home and the sportsmanship without which a man cannot be paroled. But it gave me so much more than that. The companionship, the acceptance, the love which would render a violation of parole almost impossible. He was known to them as Nate to some neighbors and to co-workers at Castanier, Castanier General Hospital in Adjuntas. He worked as a laboratory and x-ray assistant. So yeah. Lots of bodied. Nice. Now Lil Paul went now back to. No went to Puerto Rico. That's where he's going to stay. And become parole right there. And then later on in 58. He had to set up the Lil Paul Foundation. To be funded the royalties from Life Plus 99. That's his autobiography. To... Emotionally disturb the, the R word, I'm not gonna say, or delinquent youths. But the state of Illinois voided its charter, however, on grounds that violated the terms of the parole. So, doesn't. So, yeah, the state of Illinois didn't want to do that one. 
So somewhere in 1959, Leopold sought a block of production of the film, Compulsion, on the grounds that Levins had invaded the privacy, defamed him, and profited for that story. And, quote, intermingled fact and fiction to such an extent that they were indistinguishable, end quote. Eventually, the Supreme Court ruled against him, holding that Paul, as known confessed to the crime, could not reason argue that any book had injured his reputation. Hmm. So the Supreme Court had a little concern about, you know, putting out of, no, that movie. So subsequently, yeah, he moved to St. Terce and married a florist with a florist. And earned a master's degree at the University of Puerto Rico. So at least you have a degree. And then taught classes there. Hmm. Nice. And became researcher in social service program Puerto Rico's Department of Health. And worked for some urban neural for ended research of leprosy. Yep. And then he was also active in Natural History Society of Puerto Rico. Driving through some kind of started bird life. Yep. Back to his where it began. And in 63, he published Checklist of Birds of Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. Yeah. And then while he spoke to the sentence to write the book, Reach for a Halo, about his life following prison, he wants to write this little book. He never did. He never never had this little book for that. And then, all comes down to, well, Lil Pulse Life's about to end. He died of some diabetes related of heart attack on August 29, 1971 at the age of 66. Yeah, he has his life going on right now after prison. Went to per- end up going to Puerto Rico and do some of his doings, do some of his life after prison until he died in 71. Oh boy, that was a great, wonderful story of that. Um, this, is, this is something. This has to be one of the history, but it's also a life of them. You know, it's their lives. We're just reading through different different lives of them and see how they're doing. You know, you now just give us a story and tell us about all the things they've had and forget all of it. Yeah, that's pretty much it for Lil Paul and Loeb for all eternity. Remember, Loeb and I have been inspiration for some of the lots of dramatic works. There's so many works that they have done with a lot of popular culture and stuff. And that's really exciting about. So, let's read some of the popular culture because we're going to have fun about that, okay? All right. So, the Franks murder inspired lots and lots of works of the film, theater fiction, including this play called Rope by Patrick Hamilton. It was performed on BBC in 1939, and Alfred Hitchcock's film of the same name, Rope, in 1948. And then we have a fictionalized version of the events formed by Meyer Levin. That's a 1956 novel compulsion, I already mentioned that. And they have a film of action in 1959. And in 1957, we got a couple of more fictionalized novels were released. 
both of them were Nothing But The Night by James Yaff and Little Brother Fate by Mary Carter Roberts. You have two little books there. And then we have a play by John Logan's Never the Sinner. was based on some contemporary inspired accounts of the case. No, the little boy's case. And include a explicit portrayal of the sexual relationship of those two. Maybe those two? They may have a sexual relationship with us too. I don't know if they could be gay, but it doesn't mention about it. And then in 2019, this is like three years ago, the story was fictionally retold by the third season called The Sinner. So The Sinner is a TV series right there that was retold on the third season. You're probably going to find it. So, in his book, one of his book, Jordan Childroth, called Most Murder, Most Queer. Huh. So, he examines some changing attitudes toward you know, homosexuality in typical semantic representation of Little Paul and Love's case. Because I didn't realize that they have like a sexual relationship, that means they are gay. Both smart and they are so gay, like, <laughs> and they just murdered the boy and such. But wow, that could put that one to things. And then there's some uh, more other works, include Richard Wright's Once More Novel, Native Son, Magdalene episodes of The Sisters, Columbus episode of Columbus Goes to College, that's 1990, um, Tom Callan's the film Swoon. Michael Haneke's 97 screen film, Funny Games. And the 2000 National Remake, Barbara Schroeder's Murder by Numbers, Daniel Close, that's the photograph novel, Ice Haven, um, Stephen Dolgenoff's, it's the off-Broadway musical, Thrill Me, the Lil Paul and Love story. Why did they have that off-Broadway musical there? Why do we need a musical for that? And the film, Scream. 1996, as it should be. Yeah, those are some of the popular culture they had. The, the Lil Paul and Loeb's murder, they have put everything there. And there's so many works that they have done that was based on it. Yep, lots of works that's based on this murder, based on this case. It took a lot of everything off it. Took a lot off it. Okay, well, that's it. We are done with that case, Lil Paul and Love. They had their life together during college, and then during that time, they just murdered, and they knew what their perfect crime is. They knew everything about it. They ended up going to prison. Life and ninety nine. Love just died by one of the inmates, and Love Paul continued his life in Puerto Rico after during the prison in and out. Well, at least Love Paul had the best life you know, during the prison and then after, but Loeb ended up cut short. That sucks for Loeb, but good for Love Paul.
Okay, that's it, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of it. I will see you next time for another case, alright? There will be some cases that I might have to over, but again, Lil Paul and Lil Web is really the one that catches my attention. And just um, probably reading some stuff. Yeah, lots of interesting things to know about those two. Alright guys, thank you. And uh, goodbye. And take care.